Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Evan with the message. Soon after I graduated college, I had the privilege of working for a man that I've greatly admired for a long time. His name's John Perkins. Now, Perkins is a black man. He was the son of a sharecropper in Mississippi. And he grew up experiencing firsthand the horrors of racial injustice. You see, the system of sharecropping in the South was when a white uh, plantation owner would rent land to free black men. However, uh, they would often overcharge and, and the black men would end up owing so much in debt that they were basically slaves. This is the world that John grew up in. He experienced injustice on a daily basis. Now, when John was young, his older brother Clyde was killed by a white marshal. Um, Clyde had stood up to him um, over a, a minor matter. And, and soon after that, John and, and some of his family members left Mississippi and moved to California. There in California, he found uh, a life. He got a job. He started working. He got a good education. He met his wife, Vera May, there, and they had kids. And, and it was through his kids that he found Jesus. His oldest son, Spencer, um, started going to a kids' club. And he invited his parents to come. He wanted them to come along to church. And that was where he found Jesus. Uh, just as a side note, this is another good reason why we need a, a strong kids' ministry. Um, but John came to know Jesus. Um, he heard a gospel of a God who loved him and, and in whom there was no black or white and this was a gospel that touched his heart. He became a minister, and despite his opposition, he felt a call to go back to rural Mississippi to share the gospel. And so he did. He moved his whole family back to rural Mississippi, and he founded the organization Voice of Calvary Ministries. He did so in Mendenhall, Mississippi, near, near uh, very near where he grew up. And he did it in order to share the gospel and to advocate for justice. Now, this was the height of the civil rights movement. There were boycotts and protests happening all over the Deep South. John led a number of these boycotts in his hometown of Mendenhall. And every Saturday, a group would march from the black section of town up Main Street to the courthouse, demanding equality and justice. After one particular march, a number of college students from nearby Tougaloo College who had joined them for the march were on their way back and they were stopped 
by the Mississippi State Troopers. And they were arrested for carrying a concealed brick in their trunk. They were taken to the Brandon Jail and locked up. Now John and a number of his associates, two or three of his associates, followed after them to bail them out. It was late on a Saturday night. And when they got to the Brandon Jail, they explained that they were there to bail out these students. But they were ambushed. The troopers led them into the jail and began beating them. One by one, they would take turns laying into these men. They did this practically all night long. When a rumor came in that the FBI would be showing up, they made Reverend Perkins mop up his own blood off the floor. But when the FBI never showed, they just continued with the beatings. Perkins recalls that at one point he was on the ground bleeding from all over. And and he was pretty much dead. Many of the students who were there from Tougaloo College, they remarked later that they thought he was in fact dead several times. He was beaten within inches of his life for seeking justice for his people. This is not the only story of evil and injustice you've ever heard. There's so much of it in our world. There are so many stories of people who do harm. There are so many stories of people who suffer at the hands of their enemies. How do we respond to such evil? As those who follow Christ, what do we do? Well, Jesus lays it all out for us in Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
You see, we're in the middle of a series on our second core value, and that is we highly value the outsider. In the first week of the series, Derek gave us a vision for creating hospitable space wherever we go, of welcoming people into our family. And and last week, Betty shared a message on loving the outcast and pursuing outsiders and bringing them in at all costs. Today, I want to dive into how do we treat those who want nothing to do with us? How do we treat those who wish us harm? I want to look at what does it mean to love your enemy? And I'm going to look at, at, at what, what Jesus' command is, at, at why he commands us to do this, and think about a few ways that we might go about practically loving our enemies. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. In a world that is broken, you are magnificent and glorious and loving and good. God, as we spend some time in scripture today, would you open it up to us? Would you allow us to see your heart? Come, Holy Spirit, be with me. May my words be your words and nothing more. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen. So Jesus' call to love is clear. Here in Matthew 5, he's elevating the law that people had lived by. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's taking these common thoughts on ways of living and saying, everybody thought this was the acceptable way to live, but actually you must take it deeper than that. You must do life the way God calls you to do it. And he takes this, this common understood thought of loving neighbors and hating enemies and he, he, he turns it on its head and he says, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is... This is sometimes what might, it might become tame to us if we've heard the scriptures over and over and over again. If we are those who have lived as Christians for a long time, this may not jar us in the way that it would jar so many to think about loving your enemy, the one who wishes harm on you. For Jesus to say, love your enemy, that is a big ask. That's a, that's a big request. But Jesus isn't just talk. Jesus doesn't just say, love your enemy. Jesus lives out this concept of loving your enemy. On on the cross in Luke 23, Luke 23 verse 32 says, two others, this is after Jesus has been brought on trial, a sham trial, and convicted And he's going to the cross. This is two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And so here, at the point when Jesus' enemies have come together against him, they have conspired against him. They have spied on him. They have caused one of his disciples to betray him. And they have agreed to put him to death. He is put up on a cross. And looking out over his enemies, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In his moment of suffering, Jesus sees past the evil and has compassion for his enemy. Paul then repeats Jesus' words in Romans 12, verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is not an isolated thought in scripture. Over and over and over again, the call is for us to love our enemies. In fact, I would go as far to say that this command to love your enemies is one of the things that separates Christianity from so many other worldviews. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. The command to love is clear. But why? Why is it that we must love and bless those who hate us? Turn with me to Matthew 18 as we look at another parable of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus tells this story of these two servants, one who owed a great amount and another who owed a smaller amount. And the one who owed much was forgiven, but failed to forgive the one who owed little. And friends, if we are not careful, This is our story. Half of it is our story, we who follow Christ. For we have been forgiven much. To understand what we've been forgiven of, we must return to where it all went wrong. In the garden, in the beginning. When sin had not yet entered the world. And God made his home with man and woman, and all was right. God gave humanity a choice to trust him, to believe him, to trust in his goodness and his love. But Adam and Eve chose to put themselves in a position of power that was not theirs. They betrayed God. They took that which was not theirs. And in doing so, they broke relationship with God. A a metaphor that helps me understand this broken relationship is is my relationship with my wife, Abby. We have a a fantastic relationship. We've been married for a couple of years now and, and, and things are good. It's not without its challenges, but those challenges make us better people. We grow into each uh, into love with each other, um, and, and we become better people. But I, I, not only do I have a good relationship with Abby, but I also have a great relationship with her family. I couldn't imagine having better in-laws, people that I like spending time with and who are so, so very good to me. But you see, if I were to betray Abby, if I were to betray our relationship and I would hurt her in that, then my relationship with Abby would be broken just as our relationship with God is broken. But not only would my relationship with her be broken, but my relationship with her family would be fractured as well. They wouldn't want me to come around because I had harmed their daughter. In in the same way, my relationship with her friends and with her co-workers, with anyone who holds her dear, would be fractured and broken. In the same way, not only is our relationship with God 
broken. But our relationship with other people has become broken as well. So we have broken relationship with God and broken relationship with others. And we have broken relationship with the very creation that God made. We are not in right relationship with God's world. And even farther than that, we aren't even in right relationship with ourselves. We live in in an incredibly broken world. And the truth is, is that we contribute to that brokenness every time we try to live life outside of God's design. Yet God did not allow us to remain in that brokenness despite our propensity to sin. He chose to send his son into the world to redeem us from that brokenness, to make things right, to offer a way for us to be back in relationship with him and with all things. And he calls us, those who have been reconciled, who have been forgiven much, to join him in reconciling the whole world back unto himself, to inviting all people and all things back into God's kingdom. We have been forgiven much. And we have been called to forgive others. We have been called to love our enemies, those who would wish us harm, who would do us harm, because God loved those who wished him harm. Those who put him on a cross, Jesus said, forgive them. Christ set the standard. We must learn to love our enemies as God loved us. So how do we do that? How do we practically love our enemies? I have just a couple thoughts here. Um, as ways of, of practically wading into these waters. First of all, we love our enemies in prayer. This is the starting point. I, I, I in no way mean to say that any of this is easy. Uh, I'm sure many of you have had people who have done you harm. And, and the thought of loving them is, 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 is such a stretch. It's such a hard thing. And, and so this must be our starting point. We must begin to love our enemies by praying for them. If you can't bring yourself to take them to lunch or have a conversation with them, you can begin right now by praying that God would change your heart toward them. Too often we think these are the calls of scripture to obey Jesus' commands are just things that we have to to shoulder on our own. But the truth is any attempt at obedience should begin with prayer. Any attempt to follow Jesus should begin with asking Jesus to help us follow him. And so in prayer, 
we ask God to change our heart towards those who would wish us harm. To change our heart towards the one who has wronged us. We begin to love our enemies by praying for them. Number two, we can love our enemies by changing our perspective. We're often very short-sighted when it comes to our enemies. We focus on what they've done wrong. We, we are quick to have excuses for ourselves and our friends. We say, well, I was just, I was having a bad day or I'm this way because my mother or my father was that way. And, and it's, it's just something I can't seem to help. We have plenty of excuses for ourselves, but not for our enemies. If we, if we force ourselves to see past what they have done to us and we get a glimpse of their humanity, we see that they are broken, sinful people just like us. We see that they've been wronged and are most likely living out of their own woundings and pain. A friend of mine would often use the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. You see, when we have been harmed and we do not deal with those things accordingly, it will often come out on other people. This is why our our third core value is that we pursue wholeness with authenticity. As we seek to live into the kingdom, we understand that our wounding and brokenness makes us people who are, are who need healing, who need wholeness. And that and that when when we harm others, it's often because we have not found that healing. And so as we look at our enemies, we should begin to think I wonder what it was that that person went through. Who harmed them? And in doing so, maybe we find some compassion and grace for them, just as Jesus looked out on the crowd that was crucifying and had compassion on them. Number three, we love our enemies in word. When was the last time you talked something out with someone else? Some people are very good at this. Other people, this is incredibly difficult for them. But, but when was the last time that you confessed to someone that they'd hurt you or that they'd said something that, that made you feel a certain way and you told them that you forgave them? Sometimes it often ends up being a misunderstanding or, or a person doesn't even realize that what they said had harmed us. Too often we let things settle but we never actually deal with them. They end up becoming a burden we may not even realize we carry. Friends, we love our enemies by not allowing them to stay our enemies. We do what is in our power to fix relationships by going to them and saying, this is what is between us. And we seek reconciliation with them just as God sought reconciliation with us. We love people in prayer. We love people by changing our perspective. We love people in word. And lastly, we love people in deeds. Is there a way you can show 
your enemy that you love them. Buy them lunch. Send them a gift. Even just a little note. Remember our first reading. Jesus says that when someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sues for your tunic, give them your cloak also. Jesus encourages encourages us to go overboard in love, not retaliation. These are practical things, deeds that we can think about. Now, certainly I would never encourage somebody to continually put themselves in in a harmful situation. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, can we return hate with love? Can we return hatred with peace and generosity and goodness rather than harm and more hate? In Proverbs, it says that when we do this, we dump hot coals on the heads of those who desire to harm us. Not in retaliation, but just in sure shock value. A a somewhat silly example, when I was young, my brother and I, would play Madden football on the computer almost every night for a couple months stretch. There would, we'd just be every night playing a couple games and every night he would beat me up really, really bad. And I used to get so angry and frustrated and mad and he would rub it in and, and it, it would just never seem to go well for me. But then, then at one point I just decided I, I didn't care. And he would win and he'd win by a lot. And I would just say, good game and i'd walk away and and suddenly all the 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 bullying just stopped he didn't know what to do with with the peaceful response that i gave him again it's a it's a silly example but it holds when we return hatred with love our enemies don't often know what to do with that We love people in prayer. We love our enemies. Um, Excuse me, my notes are jumbled here. Uh, we, We love our enemies in prayer. We love our enemies by changing our perspectives. And we love people in word. And we love people in deed. But what happens when our enemies don't respond well? What happens when they don't respond to our attempts to love them? In in this situation, we must simply trust. We trust that God is good. We obey. We listen to the words of Jesus and we leave everything else up to him. Of course, there are situations where we have been harmed and others are not repentant. But scripture says that vengeance belongs to God, that God is the perfect judge and his justice is perfect. We can trust that God will deal with each person according to their deeds, good or evil. And so as we respond with goodness, with love, with mercy to those who have harmed us, to our enemies, we must leave their reactions up to God. We must allow him to be their judge, just as he is our judge. I opened this message telling you 
a story about Dr. Perkins um, and, and how he was wrongfully arrested and beaten within inches of his life. After being released from the Brandon jail where he was beaten, he spent a long time in the hospital. And in his book, Let Justice Roll Down, he wrote these thoughts about that night and his reflections on what it meant to respond with love to the men who had beaten him. He said, I began to see with horror how hate could destroy me. Destroy me more devastatingly and suddenly than any destruction I could bring on those who had wronged me. I could try and fight back as many of my brothers had done, but if I did, how would I be different from the whites who hate? And where would hating get me? Anyone can hate. This whole business of hating and hating back, it's what keeps the vicious cycle of racism going. The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in that bed. An image formed in my mind, the image of the cross, Christ on the cross. It blotted out everything else in my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced it all himself. This Jesus, this one who had brought good news directly from God in heaven, had lived what he preached. Yet he was arrested and falsely accused. Like me, he went through an unjust trial. He also faced a lynch mob and got beaten. But even more than that, he was nailed to rough wooden planks and killed like a common critical, uh, excuse me, a common criminal. At that crucial moment, it seemed to Jesus that even God himself had deserted him. The suffering was so great, he cried out in agony. He was dying. But when he looked at that mob that had lynched him, he didn't hate them. He loved them. He forgave them. And he prayed God to forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they don't know what they are doing. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave. I couldn't get away from that. The Spirit of God kept working on me and in me until I could say with Jesus, I forgive them too. I promised him that I would return good for evil, not evil for evil. And he gave me the love I knew I would need to fulfill his command to me of love your enemy. As we come to a close, I want to challenge each one of you. Um, three things come to mind for you. One, um, if you're out there, maybe somebody came to mind as you heard this message. Um, if that's so, if there's somebody that, that has done you harm, if you have an enemy in mind, Begin in prayer. Pray for them right now that you would have the heart to forgive them. Ask God to soften your heart, to perform a supernatural miracle that you would learn to love them and forgive them. And pray that they would change their ways. 
Or maybe you have no desire to forgive. Maybe you've been so hurt by that person. Again, begin in prayer. Or or maybe you carry hatred in your heart and you have no desire to forgive them. If that's so, remember the story of the man who was forgiven much. Do not allow yourself to become that man. Think on what God has forgiven you for and allow his grace to wash over you and use that grace to fuel your own desire to forgive. Pray, pray, pray. And and thirdly and lastly, maybe you can't think of any enemies. Maybe, Maybe no one comes to mind. Maybe you don't think that you have enemies this is a, a little bit off to the side, but maybe you've made yourself into the enemy. Maybe you've learned to hate yourself. And you need to allow God's grace to come and touch you. You need God to transform your heart about yourself. If that's you, please reach out to somebody in prayer. But friends, the call of Scripture is clear and maybe the most difficult command in Scripture, love your enemy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace that we have been forgiven much. God, allow us to see our enemies, to see past the wrong that they've done, and to see their humanity. And just as you have forgiven us, may we find the strength and the love to forgive others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.